Hello, everyone. I'm here for one of my stories. This is Lindsay Dunn. And today we are back for 1899 episode four, The Fight. With me, of course, yes. as usual, is Black Cinephile. How are you feeling going, about everybody? the fight? We cleared the fog. Now we're into the fight. So what did you... I feel like... Yeah. I feel like this should have been called The Hunt. Because, you know, as we'll get into it, a lot of it was really for, like the hunt for a certain character. The fight doesn't really happen until like towards the end. But um, I like it. You know, it, it started off a little slow for me, but it kept a good pace. I want to say in the latter two thirds of the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title when they said the fight, I wasn't, you know, it's like that could that could mean different things. This episode, of course. Right start uh this episode focuses on the character of jerome which is great mm -hmm. because i think both of us i can speak for both of us that we both really appreciate his character we like his character and yeah. i feel like there's a slight detour for this episode in the focus of the direction of the show because up until now the character of Focus has been a person who is dealing with a sense of guilt about something they have mm -hmm. done in the past. In the case of Jerome, the guilt is not his. He's the one that was betrayed by somebody. So we had Mara. Her story's still unclear, but Mara mm -hmm. is not being treated well, and she's looking for a brother. Ike, we've got his family, he feels responsible for them. Ling is dealing with guilt about accidentally killing her friend. But with Jerome, it sort of took a different direction. This is about being the victim of somebody else's betrayal and what you do with that feeling. How did that hit you yeah. changing that direction? Um, I didn't quite notice that direction, but, you know, it, I, it makes me think about it now that you brought it up. The thing I thought about it was um, I love the connection between him and the Frenchman, uh, which I truly did not see coming. And uh, what is the Frenchman's character name again? Lucien. Yeah, the, uh, the connection between him and Lucien. I, I really did not see that coming. Is there, before I get into this, is there like a... Is there like a definition or symbolism behind the name of Lucian? Uh, well, the name Luce is light. So I think it has something to do with light. And I don't remember what the exact name meaning I gave you before, but it's it's definitely something about being a light. Okay. All right. I just wanted to keep that in the back of my mind as we as we go through this. Uh yeah, I just I just feel for Jerome, man. I feel like every time he's on screen, he he's always on ten because he's he's in an on ten situation. He's mm -hmm. he's either escaping from something, having to, having to fight something off, and he's he's just always like uh, he has an intense look in his eyes. I feel like the story doesn't give him much room to like uh, chill, but I guess that's kind of the situation. Yeah. And uh, and I don't mm -hmm. I don't think it's any different. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is the fight, we think about the fight as being the fight, the brawl that ended up, but is the fight referring to Jerome and just the way he's had to approach life? Because it almost feels like he's had to fight his, you know, his, mm. he had to fight to get to the ship. He had to fight to get uh, 
free maybe from his prison. We don't know what he's been through, but at any at every right. turn, I feel like he is, you know, he along with Oleg are probably the people treated worse, worst in this world. I feel like the moment we find him in the beginning of the episode is the one moment he doesn't fight or doesn't know that he has to fight. It's more like in a where you got the fight or flight response, he has flight response. And he's like, we got to get out of here. Like, we, we can't we can't stay here. The, the you know, the, the authorities will catch us. And then, you know, gun butt, uh, and then, you know, he wakes up. So I feel like this is what, like, caused him to go from flight, from flight um, Jerome to, like, fight Jerome, if that makes sense. Right. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Also, we had... The fact that he didn't, yeah, he didn't know he had to fight because he was thought he was with his his friend, his, right. um, and he let his guard down. And Lucian happens to be from the school of Franz, where he thinks the only, you know, the way he deals with things is just to knock the person out, <laughs> just mm-hmm. gonna cock block yeah. you to the head, you know. Um, right. But the way this opens, it the whole episode opens is interesting too, where we have this black screen and it starts with gunshots and we hear swords and we're almost thinking, oh, this is a fight taking place on the ship because we ended with a mutiny, but instead we're in this desert and it tosses you into this new location and you see the smokestacks. Now we're in the desert, so of course we're not on water, but one of my thoughts was that, well, this doesn't look too different from the smoke ta- smokestacks on top of the ship in the distance you had, you know, I suppose it would have been smoke coming from all the firearms, but it, if you didn't know better, mm-hmm. it could be the ship in the distance that's over the horizon because those smokestacks keep churning out the smoke. Mm-hmm. But we're, it turns out we're in the desert and this man's body is being dragged and Jerome and Lucian now, I guess I wasn't too shocked about it. They're both French. They also, we knew they had, there was some kind of connection because Jerome puts this red metal in his bedroom. So he was somehow delivering this message. But it was a little strange how they did it because he had a note and he was looking for his room um, somehow, somehow he knows what room it is and he puts it in there, but there's this red metal. So we knew they had some sort of connection, even if it wasn't, they knew each other. Jerome is going there specifically to the ship, probably to give, put this metal in, uh, Lucian's room. Like that's his whole reason maybe for even being mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but both both of them looked really tired, sweaty, exhausted. They hadn't received their supplies. They hadn't been given orders. Right. I believe he said the man that the lieutenant that they stole his clothes, he had starved to death because he said, I'm not going to starve to death like this idiot. And Lucien has this plan. And Jerome doesn't like the plan because he's going to steal his hmm. clothes and pretend to be a wounded lieutenant himself. And then... Jerome will be the hero that saved him. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, 
this is a very quick scene. There's not all this to it, but I, I felt like what we saw here was Jerome has a feeling of integrity, a sense of right and wrong. You know, he kept saying, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this. And Lucian's like, well, as long as we're not caught, who cares? We'll get sent home. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Anything anything further you want to say about this scene? Um, No, I don't really have much to add about it, except that I, I, I liked how I, uh, it added a... Um, a link between two characters that I really just did not expect. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really feel like it. Um, it was a great shocking moment to know how uh, Jerome is connected to Lucy and, and how Jerome has had like a great. Um, I want to say uh, conversationally intimate moments with Lucian's wife without even knowing she's Lucian's wife. Like I, I like how the the show set that up mm -hmm. in a shrewd way. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you kind of wonder about that because we we, st we still aren't sure where, you know, exactly how this how this ship works. Are there memories mm -hmm. erased before they get on the ship? So is it possible these two soldiers, you know, that he knew Jerome, in fact, knew Clements before at one point or another and just needed one of them, remembers that because there was that scene on the deck when... Uh, Jerome says that or don't you look familiar you know you somehow look familiar do we know each other they both had that sense of deja vu right. um so that, that maybe they did know each other but but yeah that their their connection is still is is very very strong very obviously strong I think the ship has a way of having its uh his its characters relieve um not relief, but its characters relive trauma mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, from what we see here, Jerome has has quite a bit of trauma. I mean, he's always looking tired. He's always looking like the world is against him, and constantly, mm -hmm. constantly having to fight here. So, um, once we we get through that. We wake up on Jerome, and like I said before, this was a little bit of a a, a surprise for me because mm -hmm. I thought Lucy, since Lucian's the one that probably has some amount of guilt, maybe we would wake up right. and it would be Lucian, but instead it's Jerome, and mm -hmm. he he is lashing out at Oleg as as he tries to sort of comfort him because he he wakes up with a start. It's very, you know, it's kind of like you woke up from a nightmare and that's that that's that all my life's I had to fight type of attitude. <laughs> you wake up swinging on somebody that's trying to help you. Exactly. Uh, but they both do the universal sign for surrender and they're speaking to him with really calming voices. And right. there's Ike, Ramiro, Jerome, and Oleg. Only Ike is is handcuffed. For some reason he's considered the most da dangerous which i thought was probably a miss uh, a misstep there that why would they yeah. cuff up ike and nobody else mm -hmm. um but he they wake up there's the four of them here and franz is 
of course, there to push Jerome around some more. And he wants Olek and Jerome to come onto the deck where we see there the pile of bodies. This was pretty yep. disturbing. It was. Seeing, um, you know, before when we saw these bodies, they were lying awkwardly on the floor in like this very mummy-like position, but they were all sort of, there was some care being taken. I think everybody was on a cot of some sort or at least lying mm -hmm. on the floor, but at some point they just said, well, there's all these bodies, so we're just going to pile them up. Um, I guess they were, they're also afraid of infestation and diseases, what, right. what these bodies have. So they tell Jerome and Olek to start throwing the bodies overboard. And this is when Jerome does that thing where he looks straight into the camera um, for the purposes of maybe whoever's watching the TVs. And then we go into the theme music from here. Yep. Um, so a very, a very strong opening. The rain is coming down very hard and, um, you know, it's very atmospheric, of course. Mm -hmm. So down in the first class deck, we've got all of the mutineers are just forcing people to go into their cabins and to, to stay there. <laughs> right. Just straight, straight chaos on board. Everyone's being taken out. I love how they take people out of their rooms and like just hold them to search the room and they just put them back in. Well, no, that happens later. But I like how I, I, I like the way they go about uh, just forcing people into their rooms and people are just like just going with it. Like, uh, OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's very noisy. But it, briefly, we go into the room where we see Mara and the boy are there and Mara says, don't be afraid. They don't want to hurt you. They just want to turn the ship around. And the boy, mm -hmm. the boy doesn't really look convinced. And I don't think any of us were either, you know, oh, it'll be okay. Um, right. And then Mara decides, of course, she's going to go look for Ike. <laughs> so she leaves yep. the boy unattended in his room. He'll be doesn't, all right. Doesn't seem he like a good decision. Yeah, the the boy, uh, she, she he's resourceful. He's always hanging about and knows how to. Uh, she, she knows he'll be all right. <laughs> I guess so, but also you can't keep Mara and Ike apart. So, <laughs> just, right, right. it was kind of interesting how she's just like, "Come on, it'll be fine. You stay here. I'm gonna go exploring. Be back soon." Um. <clears throat> right. So in the bridge, we have some chaos happening because they are wondering where the ship went or where the Prometheus is gone. Now, um, right. not only that, but it is the ship is now, the compasses are working and the ship is now facing in the total opposite direction. So it's mm -hmm. almost like you had a play, a toy boat. And the, whoever owns the boat picks it up and just turns it around and puts it where it wants it to go. <laughs> right. 
See, I was I was expecting something big, man. Like I was expecting, I mean, I wasn't expecting to go to space or nothing like that. But I was like, man, is this gonna be another dimension? In, another dimension and moving to another uh, time in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we may get that. You know, we're not we're not towards the end yet. So something may come up uh, that just, that shows us what happens. But I was like, oh, they just just turn the ship around. Yeah, uh, it's and almost great. like Ike. It's almost like Ike, you know, he was doing his own thing. He decided to tow the ship back to the Prometheus and whoever's the company or whatever is doesn't like mm. that decision. So they they decided to put it back in the other direction. But agreed, if you're going to you're if you're going to r- disappear a ship from view and put it somewhere else, why not put it in a completely different place than just another ocean? <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and plus, well, do we know it is the company? Uh, from what we know, it was um the uh, the strange passenger that's on board. Yeah, we don't know, but um, you know, Daniel, he's the one that made it made that all happen. But I think we right, still don't right, really right. know who's in charge. You know, we have Sebastian. Good point. Good point. Who's in charge of the red button? <laughs> but. <laughs> That's that we know he's in charge of that device, but for all we know, Daniel is working for the company, you know, so we don't really know who's in charge, but it it was Daniel who made sure, and he's already expressed to Mara that he doesn't agree with Ike's decisions, so he just like, we're just gonna go west now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Um, so down on the third class, they are pointing rifles now at Sebastian because some of the crew, you know, when the mutiny happened, Sebastian was one of the people also being held at gunpoint. So they, I guess they weren't sure whether Sebastian, whose side he was on. So they went ahead and moved him down to third class passengers and they tell him the Norwegian red beard, I think is what we're calling him. The Norwegian guy says that um, you weren't, you didn't worry about us. So we're not really going to worry about you. And Sebastian decides to throw the, throw the boy under the bus. Basically. Um, He says, um, there's something you guys should know. And, you know, this morning we received this or, we received this order to sink the ship. The captain disobeyed. And because and he sort of takes it upon himself to say, well, because they didn't want anything to get off the ship alive and the boy is alive and from the ship. So therefore the boy is the problem. And, and you know, another thing interesting about this is Tove has been on the front side, but She's the translator and decides not to translate the message. But our dear friend Crester <laughs> decides to take it upon himself to make sure that the message is relayed. So there's a lot, there's kind of a lot of dynamics going on in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the mom. Crester is obviously trying to please his mom in some way, earn her regard back. 
mm-hmm. which I think is clearly motivating motivating him. Tobe is all part of the decide all part of the mutiny until she knows they're after the boy. So that that was interesting. So why do you think she feels? Is it just her motherly instinct kicking in because she's pregnant? Why all of a sudden is she worried about the boy? I think it is motherly instinct. I think, well, because the episode didn't touch too much on that for me, I felt like that was something they kind of just introduced off the hand and then just said, we'll just leave that there for the for our audience to think about. But yeah, I think it's the motherly instinct. You know, she doesn't want to see another child die. You know, so, you know, they're talking about the boy is responsible for this. Let's find the boy. If a whole mob is going after a boy, that doesn't mean anything good ever. So obviously she's like, I don't I don't want this to come to a nasty end. So, yeah, of course, she doesn't want to see another kid die Mm -hmm. or get hurt. Let's put it that way. Get hurt. But yet Eben or Iben, who's the mother, Tove's mother, she's a mother. And she obviously loves her kids, even though she has a very warped sense of showing it. But why doesn't she have that instinct? Well, she's just more of a hard ass. (laughs) You know, like, it's a different generation. (laughs) I feel like, you know, it's kind of like Will Smith said, parents just don't understand. But it's like, I I feel like that's a different generational type of thing. That's why she's she's more hard than... um, than the, than the other uh, character and you mentioned. Then Tobe. Yes, um, yes. I think also their, their strong religious feelings yes. seem to be, that is the main thing motivating them. Going back to, they believe that God is displeased to an extent that displeased with the mm-hmm. ship. And that's why bad things are happening which is of course the old model if you if you're sick or if you're ill then you must be cursed which is probably why the mom is not very nice to crester because he has this scar in his face you're somehow tainted you're somehow chosen as as being flawed you're not the spotless lamb so right, then right we also have um so in general she's she's thinking this boy is somehow a devil and that they need to yes. remove him from the ship. So it it causes a kind of madness in in your in you in her um, at that moment that the boy, if the boy is the problem, and and somebody was saying, well, that doesn't seem very well thought out. But I'm kind of like this is this stuff's been happening for a while. We we have the story of Jonah and the whale, where mm. Jonah's running away from God and and he tells people there this storm is because of me so if you throw me overboard you'll all be saved Um, yeah i mean i was gonna say i think she says at one point the devil is not going to get his way mm -hmm. and it's funny because i look at it as she's putting everything that's going on here um the loss of ada you know the the disconnect between tove and chris crester her feelings towards Crestor being different. And I think she's putting it on this on this boy. It's not the fact that the ship's turning around. She needs a devil in her life to blame, to blame for stuff like this. And I think she finds that in trying to say, let's find the boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when something, when something bad happens, I think we do all have that drive to find a reason of some kind. 
because then you feel mm -hmm. a sense of control. And if we just get rid of that reason or change that reality, then the problem will go away. No right. muss, no fuss. So adding to this, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit because we mm -hmm. were talking about Sebastian and how he plays into this. So I think his, his actions are also equally confusing in a way because he, yeah. um, you know, my thought is during this scene at the beginning when they're pointing rifles at him and he's like, he, he literally says something like, give the people what they want, a reason, something to blame. We can give them the boy. Mm -hmm. And um, later, though, even though he says that, later on in the show, they go search Mara's room and he looks under the bed and he a couple times looks under that bed and looks at Mara and it's almost like he's communicating a message to her that he knows about the passage, the passageway. And um, so I almost feel like he is, doesn't, not, no, it's not necessarily that he actually wants the boy to be killed. Mm -hmm. um, because then he's like, okay, we well, had an opportunity to find the boy there, but he didn't. But perhaps his thought is just give, just give them the boy as a goal to look for right now. And within whatever, how many days he said, maybe it was five days. In five days, we'll reach the, the company and all order will be restored. I'm not sure that um, that his that Sebastian actually has ill intent towards the boy. He's just kind of trying to keep the violence down until order right. can be restored. What are your thoughts about that and Sebastian, his motivations here? I think if his motivation is 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 not to get the boy hurt, he's he's doing a bad job at uh you know not being uh counterintuitive to that, uh, or not or not working counterintuitive to that. Is is that the right word I'm trying to say? Uh, never mind. Anyway, he's he's. I don't think he's doing a good job. I don't think he's doing a good job of showing what his real, what his real motivation and what his real uh, objective is, and. I do believe again it comes back to you you need a villain right to think anything we can do to stop them from fighting or killing each other we need to put a villain in place he doesn't want the captain to be a villain they already captured him if that's the case and they'll probably just go down to the brig and kill the captain there so it's like let's find somebody that's not within sight right now to, so so we can bide some time so i feel like that yeah bide some time for now but yeah, I don't really think he wanted, maybe he did, but I guess I feel like he had an opportunity to deliver the boy when he looked under the bed and, you know, he chose not to. And he made sure no one else looked under, under the bed because he got there first. Um, so, but yeah, he's, he also doesn't want himself to die, but he's probably been given a task right. by the ship's company because he's protecting that red button. You know, you're the guardian of the ship. It's your job to make sure that the secrets of the ship are not discovered. If people find out about the panel, then that could open up all of the ship's secrets. And that was what he was tasked with guarding. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, back in the back in the brig. While Jerome and Oleg are <laughs> are trying to decide what they're going to do, we have 
Captain Ike, who is trying to free himself from these handcuffs that are tied to pipe and ramiro is able to to do it he kicks the pipe until it's broken and then both of them are free so i was pretty impressed with ramiro's strength later on he also does um he frees ike from his handcuffs with the hammer and doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't take him too many times to do it Mm-hmm. It's yeah. probably surprising to the people. Maybe like this guy's a priest. They don't. They don't know the story about him being Shoot. a Portuguese servant. So he's probably done a lot more manual labor than any of us realized. Mm-hmm. So Olick and Jerome are going to start. They decide to go ahead and go with this for now and start throwing the bodies overboard and they start right. with little little Ada and they're they're going mm-hmm. to to do that and Olet can sort of tell that Jerome is is going to be a rabble rouser. <laughs> you know, he's not going <laughs> to, to go with this plan. But he's he's trying to tell him just bide your time for right now. You know, let's just do what they say. And Jerome, though, has this vision of the lieutenant. When he goes to grab a body, it ends up being the face of the lieutenant, and he's Mm -hmm. very surprised by that. Yes. We next have a scene with Clements and Lucian where she finds, you know, she's asking him about where he was last night and what the deal with the file was. Mm-hmm. and you know he says as if you cared and she's like i'm your wife and um mm-hmm. you know uh, sorry lucian has a quote here the moment you think you've got it all it smacks you in the face <laughs> so that's his inspirational quote for this episode <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't make heads or tails of that one. Yeah, life hurts. It actually started with life hurts. The moment you think you've got it all, it smacks you in the face. And we find out what's in the vial. Potassium bromide. It helps them with the seizures, but it also helps them to not mm-hmm. get an erection. Um, yes, yes. And he's going to die in a few weeks, apparently. So um, he then says, though, you don't care if I'm dead or alive. I noticed she didn't argue with him. Well, and, it's yeah. it's funny because the thing with Clements is I kind of was expecting something big from her because, like, I don't know if it was the first episode, but there was a moment where I think her and Lucian had just ended having sex and he had walked away from the bedroom and she kind of had, like, a mischievous smile on her face mm-hmm. or, like, a knowing smile on her face. I don't know what happened to that Clemens because the Clemens I see now is just always just sad and my husband doesn't love me because I'm his betrothed. And like, I, I, I want to know, was was that like a, I hope that ties in later as we go into the season, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of like her hope hiding her hand here. Yeah, like if she's, you know, somehow, like you said, has a, has a secret motivation that we don't know about. 
it right. did, it has sort of it has sort of changed because yeah during that first episode yeah she had that weird smile on her face like a sly smile and now she's mm. just she's just kind of like a hurt kind of like a hurt puppy dog like why don't you talk to mm-hmm. me i'm your wife and um kind of the innocent the innocent act um so she could yeah. just be a really good actor <laughs> biding her time she... to the right moment we didn't see any of that oh, with, yeah. with jerome though at all either yeah um but we had an interesting that we had this with the metal now like this is when he opens the desk drawer he's looking for a cigarette um, or maybe a match to light a cigarette and sees the metal and it really shakes him to the core and he grabs Clemens and starts mm-hmm. to choke her. Now, to his credit, as soon as she said, stop, you're hurting me, <laughs> he actually does stop and leaves the room. Right. Um, yeah. But he also, yeah, it's also interesting how he always says he's sorry. Like he, Like with Jerome, he said that, sorry, and then he knocks him out. Um, and then in this, he says, sorry to Clemens. And then he walks out. He does, he does apologize. Uh, doesn't ever really do (laughs) anything about it. He does. Um, I feel like the show, like through this character gives us like a bunch of reasons for us to not excuse, but justify why Lucian is so on edge. Like, you know, he betrayed his friend. He's about to die soon. You know, he has seizures. He's take this, he's taking the stuff that affects him, you know, um, uh, sexually with his wife. You know, have some pity for him. I'm like, that's a lot of problems. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of problems you're throwing at us about this person, about this character. Well, I feel that in a sense, Lucian is perhaps a believer in divine justice. So he knows that he's been kind of a jerk um that doesn't mean he's necessarily ready to remedy any of his ways but i feel like with how he was some of the things he said with ling in the last episode where he's like this isn't at all what i thought it was gonna be you know i thought this was what i wanted to have fine clothes and be in the first class uh, mm-hmm. because he dressed up as this lieutenant and that probably got him a lot of awards and attention. Now he has a beautiful wife. Um, you know, this is not my beautiful wife. <laughs> 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 this is not my beautiful house. Um, you know, he knows <laughs> that he's an imposter. But it's kind of like he doesn't know how to get off the train now that he's gotten on. Um you know, I think maybe he feels like, yeah, I'm getting what I deserve. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about Lucian? You just mentioned all the problems he had. Do you feel a sense of pity for Lucian? I mean, pity, uh, I'm more on the uh, Team Jerome Retribution Squad, but I, I feel a little bit of pity there. You know, I felt like... um He's a complicated character, and complicated characters are always the best. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. 
I'm like, well, he kind of made his bed in a way with the decisions he's made up until this moment. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel a little, a little, little pity for him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not thinking. I. I'm not feeling like I feel any pity. I guess because so far he's still getting away with everything. He's still in mm-hmm. person. You know, he hasn't admitted anything to anybody. He hasn't come clean to his wife. He's and he's now he's in covering up his. He's already covered up his tracks once by leaving his friend to starve in the desert um, right. or to fend for himself in prison, but now he when he sees that Jerome's still there, he immediately just grabs Clements and says, don't listen to anything that guy says. He's a liar. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got seizures and, you know, guilt is not a good motivator for an erection. So even if it wasn't for that, he, you know, <laughs> knowing, knowing that you, you know, if you feel guilty about your life, that's not a good a good motivator to feel like you deserve anything. So I guess, I don't know. I don't, I don't really feel sorry for him yet. He's not, to me, he's not a complex character. He's kind of despicable. They haven't really shown me anything admirable about, about him yet. So maybe if they do, I'll feel differently. I think he's more disgraceful than despicable. I, I wouldn't despicable. Like you know, you you like you you spit on him. He's so despicable. I'm like, eh, he's he's kind of a disgrace. I don't know. He doesn't seem like he'd be a very fun person to have a drink with. So, yeah. depends. <laughs> depends on how how much potassium <laughs> bromide he'd had. Um, Listen, if he got his, <laughs> go ahead. Go oh, no, I was like, go ahead. If he got a good fix of it before he spent his night with the geisha, he probably would have been an entertaining person to have a drink with. <laughs> but, you know, he had to freak her out and give him, give himself, give himself some in the middle of the whole day. Um, so the next thing that happens is Mara is caught. She's She's caught trying to find the captain. And she says she needs to talk to the captain. And and Franz is like, he's no longer the captain. He doesn't say I'm the captain now, but that's that's kind of the feeling. I, I almost I almost expected that. Look at me. Look at me. I am <laughs> the captain now. Um, but he, you know, she says, You have no idea what's going on. You're making a huge mistake. And um, he, she needs to speak to the captain. He says, he's not the man you think he is. And she says, no, you aren't. You're just a little boy toying with power. Mm-hmm. So that was a good, a nice, strong quote for Mara. She hasn't, she hasn't had a good quote in a while. But um, this, you know, the thing she said made me a little intrigued because she said, you have no idea what's going on. You're making a huge mistake. So that makes you, I don't know, that makes me go, well, what do you know then? <laughs> if you have no idea what's going on, what do you know? Can you share? <laughs> Let us know what's really going on. But Mara, as usual, is right. is not revealing anything. Tight-lipped. She'll only tell the captain, but she won't actually tell the captain. <laughs> She'll just think about telling the captain. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
she um in the meantime ike and romeo are continuing their mission impossible <laughs> escape route through the grate um so you know it's conveniently we have a nice big grate on the wall that they can mm -hmm. get out of out of the brig with uh so we leave them there he's still handcuffed and Anker and Tove have a moment where he's talking to Anker is talking to Tove and saying god i've tried to hear god's voice but he only talks to your mother and uh mm -hmm. do you you know Tove says do you believe the boy is really evil and what if she's right? What if it's all true? He puts his hand on her belly and says, maybe God gave you a gift. Maybe you do carry the light inside of you. Mm -hmm. And that mother said that the devil would try to take everything away from us. And we cannot let that happen. So this, this, I, this is more secrets about this family that, you know, we still don't know exactly what what their what their situation is we know we know kind of how they act and their dynamics i guess but why would why would god or why would the devil try to take everything away from this family you know they believe i guess they believe they're cursed somehow mm -hmm. yeah but the dad has ada's doll and he's just kind of clutching the doll. It's very sad that I feel like the dad is is actually a pretty kind dude compared to his wife. Like, I don't think we see him commit any violence during the show so far. It's all the mom. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, hey, the mom kind of came out of nowhere in this one, man. Like, she, uh, she, uh, she really took me for a loop. I didn't expect this kind of a sinister. I'm not gonna say. Well, no, it is a little sinister. I didn't expect this sinister, uh, predatory side from her in this one. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and this boy is the 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 product of all my issues. Right, and you know, with the mom being as as in charge and capable was this this uh version of Ivan looks like the kind of woman that could have delivered you know fixed the baby situation by herself why did they need to call on Mara <laughs> to come and help <laughs> you know right. I remember in episode one it, it just seems like all of a sudden she's like I don't know a mythological I, I, goddess of war no, you, you you raise a great point I mean being that she's <laughs> She's showing out right now in this episode. I'm like, yeah, they really didn't need Mara for the whole pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it served the function of getting Mara down, <laughs> down to the third class deck and mixing of, of the classes. So there was that purpose to it. But it, yeah, kind of where was this, where was this woman when her daughter needed her? <clears throat> I guess she didn't have, doesn't have Dr. Lee, you know, they don't have doctor but you're wondering how did they have how did they have kids before they had the village doctor i guess i don't know this is a family that's very based on myth and 
you know, legends and stuff. So if if, if the Lord wills it so, then it'll mm-hmm. be willed so. Yeah. All we have to do is pray. All we have to do is pray. <laughs> and whatever God says will happen. And it sucks because, you know, while faith is a great thing, like I say personally, when you're stuck and that's really all you have, that is really horrible when you don't have someone that's, you know, that can actually help you with that situation who does like a mora that's trained in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it makes even more sense why the mutiny fits. Cause it's like sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we already talked about the fact they look for Mara's room. They don't find him. When that happens, Mara kind of sits on the floor. She's very upset because she's wondering where the boy is. She grabs her necklace and breathes deeply. And then uh, she hears the two knocking sound. And it's the boy and the panel looking up at her. And he makes the the shushing sound again. Mm -hmm. So... I suspected there was a panel under under Moore's bed, and and here it is, in fact. But right, it was an interesting reveal that he was under there. So um, Sebastian seemed to know it. Yep. So in this next scene, we had our thing one and thing two down in the boiler room. <laughs> Man, that was such a Rosencrantz, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern scene, man. I just, I just couldn't help laughing. <laughs> yeah, or we're hoping. I mean, I'm kind of like, I hope we'll see these two in every episode. They have to have at least one dumb, dumb moment. Um, this time, one of them is wearing a garlic necklace, and the mm. garlic is going to help protect him from the wolves the wolves (laughs) they're talking about these wolves again and the guy says it's only vampires that don't like garlic and he says well maybe werewolves don't like it either um but Mm -hmm. vampires can fly and werewolves can't so they're they're arguing over these inane topics um and he says um you've never seen one how do you know you've never seen one and the guy says well, I've never seen Russia, but I'm pretty sure that it exists. <laughs> Which is a very dumb statement, but at the same time, that statement almost has a little it's dumb logic to it. Yeah, it's right. It's um, it's back to that. Well, I know, uh, you know, I can feel the wind, but I don't see it. You know, I can, I can Man. sense it. If mankind came from apes, why they're still apes? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of logic. Mm-hmm. Well, we're while they're arguing about these topics about vampires, we have a real life vampire, perhaps Daniel, <laughs> who just sneaks out of the shadows. Nobody notices him crawling towards that panel. Not the uh, red button panel, but the other panel with all the levers in it. And he Mm -hmm. uses his machine and plugs it in. And he gets these sparks going. Now, um, unlike when he does this thing with, you know, he used the same device to make the ship disappear. This time, 
I really didn't see what the impact was of him um, plugging that in. Did you see anything that, like, what was what was he doing? I don't know. I I don't know half the stuff this guy is doing when he's on screen, but hopefully it'll make sense by the end. Yeah, I mean, he got some sort of electrical spark. It could be that he was sending a message to whoever or. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, I was, I, when I watched it a couple of times, I was like, well, what did he just do? I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At this point, Jerome is able to escape by the old distract him. <laughs> He's, he made, he right. made the odd guys are talking and just ducks around the, around the, uh, ducks around the balcony ledge and Oleg's like, oh, look over here. He jumped. Um, mm -hmm. So it's the old distraction thing. And I guess he's able to then go down in the first class where he runs around and he finds Clements and Lucian's room and goes in there. Can I say something? Want... Yeah. Yeah. With that whole scene, when he, when he's running before he comes into, um, before he, he sees Clements, uh, they did some interesting choices with the music score this episode. Cause like, I feel like when he first starts running, it's like you hear somebody grunting and like that, like it's mixed up into like, like part of the score, like, rah, rah, rah. and it's like, like, like it gets mixed into a rhythm a little bit as he's running. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is a very interesting music score. You know, like, yeah. I feel like it, 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 it experiments episode by episode. That's why I keep saying like, um, I don't know if you do it, but I, I watch it with my headphones on. And you can really hear like an interesting dynamic range with like the sound design mixed with the music. Mm -hmm. Like there's another, whenever the mutineers come on screen, they play this music that sounds like sticks banging together. And that mm -hmm. same track played when, when uh, Lucian is thinking I'm going to betray, you can tell he's preparing mentally. I'm going to now betray my friend. They play the stick music. So I didn't notice the music at this scene but we did have a cut back and forth between Jerome is running in the hallway Jerome is also walking through the desert and you're he, he's glitching back and forth between these two memories so it's like he's going back and forth in these two realities at the same time while that music is playing mm -hmm. so yeah, that was I love that too effect as well <clears throat> um yeah i'm not really sure what his plan was here he 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 just wanted a temporary place to go but i'm not sure if yeah. he expected to run into anyone i mean he knocked on the door clemens answers it lucian's not there did he think he would find lucian i don't know i don't think he thought that do you think it was he thought it was just going to be empty? Empty or, you know, if somebody's there, try to, like, make up some reason as to why he's there. But I don't think he expected to – I just don't believe I, he uh, expected to run into Lucia. Yeah. But he did run for that room. So, I don't know. what I mean, he was just like, this is the only room I know that mm. – hmm, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, he he comes in and says, "I shouldn't have come." 
And then uh, Clemens says, you can stay until whoever is looking for you is gone. And uh, Jerome has a good line here. He says, I've seen it before. People taking power who don't deserve it. It never ends well. Yeah. We say that to you, Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Getting rid of our show. Um, Yeah, there's that too. (laughs) I mean, I guess... I guess in that moment, that moment between him and Lucian, uh, when he had get hit bus, I had some bad bus. Man, we'll go, we'll get more in depth about it later. I guess that's a moment where Lucian takes power from him, and you know, of course the mutiny that's happening on the ship as they as they want to save the captain. You know, like I said, Jerome's head is he, he looks like he's always on ten, and I feel like he's finally taking the fight response. And I and I, someone like um, Clements. You know, who isn't about flight or fight, but always has kind of been stuck in, in you know, kind of woe is me goes, you know what? Yeah, that's right. I, I want to join with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an interesting scene because he says, um, you know, he opens the door, looks out and says, I'm going to free the captain. And she says, I'll help you. She's his Mara, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. She just auto, she just signs up right then, and for the rest of the episode, the two of them are a team. Now, now we know that Jerome and Jerome and uh, Oleg are also a team, so he's still gonna he's still gonna be alongside his buddy Oleg. But Clements is is like Mara is with Ike, you know. She just like. Yeah, I'm coming too. So mm-hmm. that's nice. I feel yeah. like Jerome needs that. And he, he probably since Lucian, maybe he's maybe he's been a lone wolf and not let anyone ride along with him, you know? Mm-hmm. So at this point we have um so Olick is now in the chopping block a little bit because they believe and are right that he did help Jerome escape but they're sort of trying to beat that out of Olick and get him to to tell them where Jerome went of course Olick really doesn't know that but Sebastian kind of storms in and tells Franz that he's made a terrible mistake. Arming no duh. <laughs> arming people from um all these countries. We have 1500 souls on board. You arm them all. And we are going to, you know, we have 5 days. We need to just give the people what they want an explanation. We already kind of went through that. Mm-hmm. Right. More um more of shoving people in their room. Virginia gets manhandled. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, don't ex- you can't do that to Virginia, right? Right. I I can already tell she was thinking of like ten different ways she could ruin this man's life <laughs> as he's holding her <laughs> in her mind before he pushed her back in. 
Yeah, it was, it was, a, that was funny because she, I mean, she was only, I think that was her only moment in this whole episode. It lasted all of 10 mm-hmm. seconds, but Virginia right. had the fire in her eyes. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so we now have this scene with Crestor and Angel. Well, it's not just the two of them. It's this time the group comes in and they're going to search Angel's room. Mm-hmm. And this might have been a normal ransack, um, except for Angel decided that, you know, when they went to go for his watch, Angel sort of feels like he's going to have maybe some leverage because he knows Crestor. <laughs> he basically says, Crestor, tell them to not do that. Tell them to stop it. And, um, you know, he sort of, uh, what are you, what are, unmasks Crestor in that moment in front of the people like why do you know this guy right right there's a lot yeah. we don't that was we, a pretty set yeah go ahead now, I was gonna say that was just a pretty that was a pretty sad scene to watch it kind of changed my um my my idea how I thought about uh Angel in what way so not going too far ahead, but just like the, you know, the unspoken judgment between, um, you know, Cresta's mother and him and, uh, and Angel and how, you know, Cresta is forced to make a decision to basically disown Angel in that moment, even though their relationship started off with a weird power dynamic, you, you, you can see the, the deflation in Angel's face, uh, as, as the scene progresses and, uh, it's heartbreaking. I, I, I feel for Angel a character. I didn't really I'm not gonna say I didn't feel that much for him. I, I was interested to see where where he would go as a character and what he might be, what might end up doing. But um, you know, I uh, it's just a sad scene to me. Yeah, I'm. Not, I thought it was. I have mixed feelings about it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I felt necessarily. It was hard for me to tell exactly what. I mean, I could tell what Crestor was feeling. He's just feeling mm-hmm. like embarrassed that he's called out like that. And what will my mother think? And, you know, we, you right. know, there's a lot we don't know. But if the parents are like upset that they, their son is gay, if they know that, then he's, you know, he's sort of being called out in front of people in a very public way. So his, his thing is, I need to cover this up and get rid of the situation but with Angel I'm not sure what you know if his feelings were hurt I think just up until this point my sense I've gotten is because there's this power dynamic in all of his relationships he's always used to having the upper hand and in this moment it backfired on him and maybe it's like a lesson learned in a way could be an mm-hmm. an opening for that because um he thought you know he thought because he knew Crestor he was above being violated by this group of people like oh he's going to be on my side and in this case Hmm. the power did not belong to him in this case the power was with Crestor Crestor's the one that got to reject him so maybe it's like something he needed to go through to become a better person I don't know that's interesting. That's an interesting take take a take on it. 
I feel like you think about this scene um, in the way I think about uh, uh, Lucian. It's kind of like it, it, it's it's clear it's character convenient as oh you know this guy is this way because of what he's been through and I feel like with Angel it's like let's let's put in a scene to make him a little sympathetic you know what I mean through mm -hmm. uh now I'm not gonna say convoluted circumstances but through plot circumstances because it's not convoluted I feel like this this is a fair a fair moment to happen where it happens mm -hmm. it's not yeah I wasn't. I don't I haven't gotten the sense yet that oh he really cares about Crestor or mm -hmm. you know he's because even Crestor was trying to tell him and I know neither one of them can understand each other right but Crestor's like asking him for help we can't find my sister and then Angel's like I don't know what you're saying and right I don't really care you know like he's sort of like I have my own agenda my agenda is I want to you know feel you up right now He's, right. he's just using it up until this point he's just been kind of using him for his own jollies so i wasn't like i didn't feel like oh um on is is broken up inside because he won't be with you know it's it was a very superficial relationship but yeah i mean it did mm -hmm. hurt his feelings you could tell like hey no one likes being spat on the face but hey i was oh, yeah, spat on yeah. the face by a third class person you know, what does that say about me? Eh, I think if I think if Romero spat him on the face, it, it would still be sad. Yeah, but they I don't know. They have a weird they have a weird like that's how they that's how their sex goes. <laughs> they like to beat each other up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Well, I guess if it happened not in that context, like you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so Crestor also, the thing is that he always looks like he has a tear in his eye all the time. Now maybe, maybe that's part mm -hmm. of his scarred face, but like, even when he's not, he just always looks like he's crying. So I don't know. I felt bad. I felt bad for Crestor too. Um, I, I mean, I feel sorry for him, I guess, overall, because he's stuck in this situation where he's trying to earn his, earn his mother's love and, we know there's really no, you know, he's not loved unconditionally. Maybe he is by his dad, mm -hmm. maybe by his, by his sister. Um, but he doesn't, he feels like he has to do something amazing because he's the oldest son. Um, but so the next thing that happened, I think is pretty amazing. I really liked it. I mean, with the boy. The boy has up until this point, you know, he's still not spoken. I'm sorry, Anthony, but he still he still hasn't spoken. But he's... I've come I, I I've come to I've come to terms with it by now. I'm like that's that's who this kid is. <laughs> um but I felt like the boy takes a really active a more active role in this episode. He um we have this, um, the boys in the panel and she's trying to get him to talk to her with her usual questions. Mm. What are, what are these shafts for? Why won't you tell me what's going on? And then she says, stay here. I'm going to go find the captain again. Right. And he basically is like, all right, nope, I've got this. 
picks up the pyramid, <laughs> brings it to her, has the beetle, and uses the beetle to guide them to the captain. Um, I feel like that's another scene where the music score gets interesting again. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, key moments like that when um, Jerome is running and when um, the kid unleashes the beater, to un- the beetle to unlock the door. You know, the, the the music score unfolds in interesting ways. Right. As they're walking through the hallway, he, the boy is, you know, he will like say stop and go. He's directing this trek to to find someone. And I really mm-hmm. love how when he comes onto the deck, he, you know, he leads her straight to the captain and Mara is like, Ike, I've been looking for you. And she goes to him and puts her arm out and t- takes his arm and is like, I've been looking for you. And the captain, for a moment, looks like, yeah, I'm glad you found me. Then he sort of jerks away and is like, stop lying. What's going on? And then the boy like steps between them and is like, <laughs> don't talk to her that way um right. so the boy just i don't know he kind of turned on his a little bit of a protective mode this time for this episode mm-hmm. and i, I, I like feel like that. a lot of this is i was gonna say about um i was gonna say something about crester but um you, yeah, you, go, you go on i'll, I'll save it Well, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of this episode is like Crestor, like going to the dark side a little bit, which is ironic because he's choosing the side of family, but, but he's choosing the side of family. That's not on the good side. This is the side of family that's trying to hunt down a little boy Mm -hmm. because they think he's, they literally think he's the devil that he's, he's the reason for all this, for all the, um, deaths in, in, in how everything has gone wrong on this cruise ship. Well, he's choosing the side of family over his own integrity yeah yeah that's which is i mean this is another way of say i'm not what you're saying is correct also i'm just kind of saying a different way like he knows it's not you can tell he has mixed feelings about turning over the boy too um and you know i think he also feels a certain sense of I'm trying to think of the right word obligation towards Mara like you know he came to get she was the only person that came to help him in episode one she came down to third class helped his sister didn't Mm -hmm. treat you know she didn't treat him bad she treated him as an equal treated his family as an equal Um, at a certain point a couple times Mara gets threatened and it you know Crestor kind of stands between a rifle and her like he says mom the boy isn't here let's go look somewhere else so you know he likes mara as as a person you know he's like he doesn't Mm -hmm. want her to be hurt and i don't think he really wants anybody he's a he's a gentle guy you know he's a sweet guy but right he's he's siding with his family but it's he's also like doing that at the expense of his own integrity and what he knows is right Mm-hmm. 
at this point, this is when we have the team up um, between Clements and Jerome and Ike and Ramiro. We sort of skipped that part, but the four of them are going to go and try to get on, uh, help Ike to get to a lifeboat so he can get to the Prometheus. So these guys aren't aware that the Prometheus is gone. Um, mm -hmm. But the, they team up um, here. And Lucian comes back and finds his room empty. And this is maybe the first time ever he's shown any kind of sense of concern for Clements. He, he looks for her and mm -hmm. is worried. So um, Crestor had seen that the boy and Mara were going uh, based, you know, were going towards, we didn't know they were going to the captain, but Crestor tells Franz where they can find them. So he, he sort of betrays, um, betrays them. And this is when, uh, you know, they say we want the boy and Mara tries to stop it from happening but the boy just steps forward and um goes with them jerome tries to stop franz and go for the hammer again and this is when he gets shot and we go into his jerome's second complete vision <clears throat> mm -hmm. So this is where we find, we see the plan a little more that, you know, at this point, Lucian is in the clothing. He decides to give Jerome this medal. Now, I did a little research on this medal, Anthony. Okay. Because um, I was very interested. A lot of people have been trying to find out what war was this in, um, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it might not be an exact thing because we know there's already anachronistic stuff happening, but there was these wars that were part of the colonization of Africa. The third one was called the Mandingo War, was in 1898. Um, there's also the Madagascar expedition, which was from 1894 to 1895. So it could okay. Those are the two, the two that I'm looking for. But this medal is a Napoleonic French Legion of Honor Officer Type 3 medal. Um, I will post a picture of it in the show notes, but um, the they do mention that, oh, you know what they do to, to deserters from the French Legion. Um, so this is supported, okay. supported by the show. However, somebody did mention that they didn't allow black officers to fight in the french legion until okay 1912 so um you know hmm. does that mean you know jerome was jerome also i don't think either one of them are supposed to have been in the legion because they're borrowing clothes from someone that was in the legion but yet um yeah it does it does make me curious like what role these guys played exactly um, so that's only mildly interesting, but the part I found a little more interesting when I was doing this research was what the foreign pol politics were like in France at this time. And 
the mm-hmm. uh, at the time when we have 1899, French foreign policy was based on a fear of Germany because Germany okay. was a larger size and a fast, very fast growing economy that couldn't be matched. So I thought that was interesting because in the show we have Jerome and Franz are painted as like natural born enemies. Um, so I thought, okay, at the time at the time French people are scared of Germans. So okay, mm-hmm. um, that is supported by our show. But the second thing that made me just a little bit more interested, even is so at the time France is looking for allies and people that they can join with one of the one of the countries that they most wanted to align with was japan mm-hmm. so french people were very into japanese culture in 1899 so um okay it's just kind of you know we just think about why is lucian so fascinated by ling um uh, so, it's a pretty good connection. Yeah. I mean, this is all from the solid uh, histor- history on Wikipedia. It can't be questioned, so. <laughs> I mean, of course not. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just thought that. Stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of nerdy. You know, like, oh, French people were scared of Germans. And they oh, that's like nice... Japanese people. Right, no, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice connection between them. Well, yeah, a nice I mean, connection as to why he might like her. Yeah. Yeah. Did did Baron and Yantia, you know, put you know put it in the show for that reason? Uh, that that would be a little too much to assume, but um... I think he looks at. I think he looks. Um, I think Lucian looks at her character as other, and usually it might. It can sometimes be like a fetishistic, a, a fetishistic thing. Yeah. Like, a, oh, she's she's other. She's she's exotic. You know, she's something that uh, I just want because she looks exotic. Uh, I I, th- I think it may be as shallow, not as shallow, but I think it may be as like uh, as as blunt as that. But uh, it could be could be another connection. Hmm. Well, this is the part where Lucian gives Jerome the medal gallantly and says, hey, you can trade this in when you're in prison. Mm -hmm. So now we know why Jerome has the medal and why he might have wanted to put it in Lucian's room. Um, Yeah. So... um, after this, they have the the mutineers have the boy, and Jerome's been shot. He stands. He's wakes up though from this dream. He's you know a glitch in the matrix. I don't know. Reset. Mm-hmm. He, he's been shot in the arm, but somehow he's still alive. Um. Yeah. Time to reset. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what I noticed when, when when certain like things happen or when, or when people occur in certain like near death situations or tense situations, um, you know, the the ship makes them relive their trauma. Right. Yeah, he's having to go back and 
you know, be like yeah, back in the desert again. And just like Ling said, why is this happening again? Jerome says, why is this happening again? So mm-hmm. he doesn't, he's like, he's not just remembering this. He's feeling like he's in this place where he's, uh, you know, back in this prison. And he, you know, he was in prison on a ship. So seems to be his life story. And he keeps getting knocked out by people. Mm-hmm. yeah um so we have one more interaction with tove and crester where tove is like hey um you don't you know do you why are you doing this like don't help them why don't help that side and then he says you have to stop blaming us for what happened to you not everything is about you mm-hmm um so uh more people are dying and you're only interested in your own misery so the the two of them are on opposite sides at this point they don't seem to be able to come together and it's kind of sad because they're brother and sister and you feel like most of the time they're probably on the same side helping each other out Mm mm-hmm Jerome is, you know, he has his hammer and is able to get everybody. And he says, um, you have no idea what I've been through to get on the ship. I'm not planning to die here. They are out of control and it's up to us to stop them. So Jerome is now leading the charge mm-hmm. of uh, of... <laughs> Um, the Sweet Cello Time podcast guys called this the Zombie Boy Killers <laughs> versus the Zombie Boy Lovers. So Jerome is leading <laughs> the Zombie Boy Lovers, and um, everybody is going with them. Out on the deck, we Jerome have Jerome is the man in this episode. He is pretty much. Yeah. And Clements likes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the deck we have Ivan, who is making her own speech. Don't be fooled by his appearance. The devil comes in many disguises. He is taking what is ours. Mm-hmm. But we know pain and sacrifice. And it will not break us. Throw the boy overboard. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Walk the plank. Yeah. And the boy is just kind of like unaffected. <laughs> he doesn't really look mm-hmm. scared. He's just like, all right, here I am. Do your worst. Right. Um, then the Mara comes out and says stop don't do this he's not the reason people are dying again mara is is making statements that could be interpreted to mean i know why they are dying um maybe she just means how can he be to blame he's not sick he's not he's not infected um but it almost makes it sound like she knows something she's not saying um then then this is when the fight the big fight starts the brawl 
and <laughs> um they have the battle i don't know if you've you know this is what i like to call the battleship uh the battleship potemkin staircase scene <laughs> um this is where they're just mm. moving in slow motion oh, <laughs> that film haunts me from my film studies days <laughs> Yeah, no. Of course, the other one that they redid it a big way. Everyone knows about the Untouchables, so that's the other one does this where it's like, oh yeah, yeah. it's just a drawn I like that out. one better. Yeah, Mara's trying to reach the boy. There's all these, all this fighting, and then Ivan just picks him up and throws him overboard. Of course, we don't know at the time what's going to happen. It's pretty sad like yeah, we're like nobody wanted the boy to be thrown overboard except for Ivan I guess I grab my hat and go you didn't talk much but I'll miss you <laughs> <laughs> you, you <laughs> and let there, let there be peace between us <laughs> all right Anthony's like forgive and forget man I'll always remember you um okay so she just tossed him overboard and um you know obviously Mara is devastated by this turn of events and in the last part we saw Jerome came to the group they were in the third class dining now things seem to have switched the Team Ike and all those people, they now move into the first class dining, and Franz and all of the third class passengers go back down to third class. So I really don't know how that happened because it seemed like before that Franz and the crew were up in the first class, and then the wealthy people were down. So somehow they were they reversed it, and so now the um. Ike and Mar and all those guys, they've taken over the first class of dining. And Olek is patching up Jerome. And Mara, we have a Mara and Daniel scene. Uh, Daniel came to get Mara and he's the one that led her away because she was just kind of sitting there watching, you know, she's sad about the boy being brought over. And she's just upset about losing him. And this is when Daniel puts his hand on her elbow and then she covers his hand with her hand now did you get a good look at daniel's hand at all when you saw this scene at the time no okay it looks like where his wedding ring would be there's like a burn mark or a scar mark okay okay but they sort of share a moment. Um, but then Ike is there to interfere <laughs> and break up the connection they had for a moment. He then shows, Ike shows Mara the passenger list with her name on it. And she just says, this is impossible. Mm -hmm. And he says, who are you really? Um, we don't really get to hear any more then because we hear the knocking noise. 
and now we have the cliffhanger. So before we get there, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get to the ending? Um, what I want to talk about is more so like a theory for future episodes. So no, not really. Okay. Well, would you like to talk about the cliffhanger for us then? <laughs> and how that played out? Yeah, so the, so the cliffhanger is um, at the moment where uh, Ike asks Mora, like, who are you? Seriously. Uh, there is a flash underneath one of the cabinets in the um, in the big room that they're in. They go on over and out comes uh, our boy, you know, out comes the kid. He has the uh, black triangle thingy in his hand, comes over and hugs Mora. Blue, blue, blue oyster coat uh, needle drop. And then that's the end. So it was interesting that he came out of the cabinet, right? The same. Right. Because I guess the Prometheus and the Kerberos are sister ships. They have mm -hmm. exactly the same layout, um, could be mirrored or could be the exact same one. And uh, so when we first saw the boy, he was he was in the cabinet. And now he comes out of the cabinet again. Before he was in the... Um, you know, before he was in the panel, he was in the panel earlier in this episode and came out, but uh, he comes out inside of the cabinet where we found him. Now, part of me wonders if maybe this is somehow connected with what Daniel was doing with his little machine. I don't know, pre pre prepping it for the boy, like once the boy fell in the water him he would come back into the cabinet or we're getting ready to reboot the system or whatever they're doing um mm -hmm. but he comes out and hugs hugs mara which is the first uh affectionate act he's had um you know so far he's been like shushing people grabbing their wrists but he's accepted her as his mom now um so yeah that is the end of this episode it i don't know like i guess in the big if we look at all the episodes so far i'm not sure this was like the most as mind-blowing i don't know i still think the tv screen yeah, it was my but still did you expect the boy to show up in the well, cabinet the did I expect him to live? No, yeah. I, I didn't expect the the boy to uh, show up at all. It it was it was a nice um, um, it was a nice surprise, definitely. Mm -hmm. My thing was uh the blue the blue oyster coat needle drop was nice. I feel like a song that's been overused in many projects. It 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 was a nice mic drop moment uh uh music wise, but yeah, I I don't think it's the best cliffhanger. I feel like oh the boy survived, cool, because it's just. It wouldn't make sense for the boy to just die. We don't even know who this boy was. We don't. Mm -hmm. know. All we know is that he doesn't like to be touched on his neck. Mm -hmm. That's all we know about him. Um, but I gotta say, part of me thinks it's either Mora from another dimension, or maybe Mora's dad watching them on the television screens, because that's mm -hmm. still in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I for one. 
cannot wait to see Ivan's face when she sees the boy is still alive. <laughs> I'm just oh, yeah. like, I want to be there for that moment where she see just... I think that might be a come to Jesus moment. I think that might be a moment where uh, the moment where the character has an epiphany, she'll probably have, I, I imagine she would probably have a big fight with Tove, either Tove or Crester, and then all of a sudden see the boy alive, and then it'll probably like emotionally shake her in a way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, or will she, we'll I don't know, or will she like see it as proof that he's a devil? You know, like with... Hey, you maybe. Think, you think about like the witchcraft, it was sort of a lose-lose situation, right? If you weren't a witch, you were going to burn to death. If you were a witch, they would, you know, if you survived the burning, they knew you were a witch. So either way, you're screwed, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so burning questions for the next episode. Like what, I don't know, what is really getting your goat at this point? I want to know just where exactly is the boat? Like I know they they turned the boat around, but where where is it? Mm -hmm. When is it? Yeah, you know, I, I would love if they show up and they roll up to America, and then all of a sudden it's like 2022, and everyone's on cell phones, and they're like, "What is going on?" Like um, that would be amazing if that happened. But I just want to know where's the where and when of the ship, and wh where what room has the TV screens? <laughs> What room has the TV screens? Um, yeah, I think... I think we'd also... I think what really is getting eating me right now is what is this deal with Mara and her name, you know, her name being on the list? You know, is mm. that... Are we going to find out she's not really Mara Franklin, that she, you know, she's... This is her secret identity or, you know, an identity that she's stolen. Um, because it's sort of, you know, they're really building this up that, you know, Ike is asking the question, we are, what does this all mean? Um, right. So I would like to know that I'd like to know about the TV screens, of course. Um, when are Clements and Jerome going to hang out again? <laughs> <laughs> they're now they're now separated hmm. um yeah i don't know we didn't see much from ling and yuck this episode either we saw them in their their room being searched but yeah um, they had a small scene yeah yeah how is how is ling doing you know after the after her first assignment <laughs> when i bet she's like there. well this is my life now <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do with weirdos like this. <laughs> um. Yeah. Still, what was and what was the boy supposed to find? And I guess now we have to deal with the fact that Daniel and we already know Daniel and Mara have some kind of connection because he has a picture of her. So how are they? How do they know each other? Really? Is he the brother? Is you know, what is their connection really in real life? I don't know. I think mm -hmm. that's probably it for me. 
this was a little bit of a Same. less you know this was a qu- a little bit of a quieter episode i actually feel like it went by fast once we got past a little bit of slowness in the beginning about you know okay there's the mutiny going on uh let's put it on the boy look 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 looking at a little bit of jerome i feel like the last two thirds went fast though i don't feel like it was like all a, mostly a slow episode mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah okay so let people know where they can find you and what you have coming up oh for sure for sure you know you can find me you know what I mean? On Twitter and Letterboxd um, as Black Cinephile, uh, all one word without the C. You can check me on my podcast, Double Feature Versus. Uh, we just did our top 10 of 2022, me and my uh, co-host. It was very fun. We had two completely different lists, but, you know, we were more so of the mind, like, not what we thought were the best of 2022, but what were our favorites of 2022. And it was... um. You could tell I had more of the uh, critically acclaimed lists because those are the movies I actually liked. He had more of the like uh, anime mixed with uh, the Weird Al Yankovic movie and all types of other random stuff. But it was a fun time. So mm-hmm. um, check out that uh, episode in audio format. I'm editing the video part of it right now. But yeah, that's me. Okay, wonderful. Uh, and you can find me at one of my stories on Twitter, Letterboxd, SoundCloud, YouTube, and now Apple Podcasts. Yay! <laughs> and the crummy artwork has Congrats. been replaced finally. So thank you. Yeah, I will definitely get these links all in the show notes for people. And we'll see you guys for the next episode, episode number five, which is I don't remember the title now, but um, that'll be coming up in about two weeks. So if you are curious, we are going to finish, despite the cancellation announcement, we are going to finish all eight of these recaps. We are in it for the long haul. So don't you worry about that. And we'll see you guys next time on one of my stories. Bye.